0: You are listening to Rabbi Arya Woolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Parsha Review Podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the weekly Parsha Review. This week's Parsha is Parsha Shemini. It's the third Parsha in the book of Leviticus and the 26th Parsha since the beginning of the Torah. 91 verses in this week's Parsha, 1,238 words and 4,670 letters. There are 17 mitzvahs, 6 performative, and 11 prohibitions. So there are two, maybe three main areas of this week's parsha. The first is the offerings. After seven days of the Mishkan's inauguration, as you remember last week in Parsha Tzav, we had the inauguration of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle. So now we're on the first day of the month of Nisan, the year after the Exodus, which is year 2449 from creation of Adam and Eve. And on this eighth day of the dedication of the Mishkan, the people brought 40 various offerings, 40 different earth, as commanded by Moshe. All the Jewish people had come to the entrance of the Mishkan to watch as they bring the sacrifices on the altar. Aaron and Moshe bless the nation. Hashem shows his presence to the Jewish people and the fire consuming the offering. They were so overwhelmed and overjoyed by this amazing event, the people began to sing the praises of Hashem. When Nadev and Aviyu, two of Aaron's sons, bring an unauthorized sacrifice, they are consumed by an alien fire, and they died. Now, there are two opinions to what they did. One opinion is that they brought a sacrifice that was not prescribed, and the other is that they went into the Holy of Holies without permission, and that even their father, Aaron, was not able to do without authorized permission. We'll talk about this more in our important lessons segment. But Moshe informs and consoles Aaron. Aaron, the Kohen, grieves in silence, accepting Hashem's judgment. Their cousins removed their bodies, the bodies of Nadav and Avihu, from the courtyard of the Mishkan. Moshe guides Elazar and Isamar, which is the two other brothers, and the other Kohanim on their behavior during the mourning period. And Moshe warns that a Kohen may never drink wine or become drunk when doing the service of the Mishkan. Then the Torah goes into the famous Leviticus 11. Leviticus 11, if you ask anyone about kosher, they'll tell you, Ah, we learn about kosher in Leviticus 11, which is chapter 11 of the book of Ayikra. Hashem tells Moshe and Aaron to tell the Jewish people which animals they may eat from. So we're going to summarize it here very, very simply. Livestock, any animal that has these two characteristics is kosher. If it has split hooves, and it chews its cud. And chewing its cud means that it chews, regurgitates, and rechews its food. What are the exceptions to this? The Torah names the non-kosher animals that have only one of these signs. There are only four exceptions that have one of these signs and not the other. These are four exceptions that the Torah gives, and this is, our sages tell us, this is one of the proofs of the say veracity, authenticity of the authorship of the Torah being godly. Because how do you know every single animal in the world to know that there are only four animals that have an exception of one of these kosher characteristics, but not the other? So the exceptions, the Torah names the non-kosher animals that have only one sign. Number one is the camel. Choose its cud, but has no split hooves. It's in chapter 11, verse 4. The hyrax, not clear exactly what type of animal this is. It chooses its cud, but does not have split hooves. The rabbit chooses its cud. In fact, Arzgal translates it as the Arnevet. It does not say, we call it in modern Hebrew, we call it the, the rabbit. But Arzgal doesn't do that. Arzgal just gives the name that the Torah gives, which is Arnevet. It chooses its cud but no split hooves, and the last is the pig has split hooves, but doesn't chew its cud. Don't eat from these, and don't touch their carcass, because one of the most important things we're going to learn this week is that food is not just sustenance for the body. You are what you eat. You eat holy, you become holy. You eat unholy, you become unholy. And it's not just, it's food. It's just something to con- to to consume me, to, to give me energy. No, 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 it's much more than that. Food is a very spiritual thing, and we're going to learn about that more. Fish, any fish that has fins and scales is kosher. And kosher fish has fins, and you can easily remove the scales. There's also no fish that has scales without fins. If it has scales, it has fins. So it's easy to know fish like a salmon or a gefilte fish, by the way, you know how to find the gefilte fish in the ocean? Just look for a fish with a carrot on its head. Fowl birds, all birds not included in the list of forbidden families are permitted, which is basically like the the birds of prey. So the eagle, the vultures, all all you know, the raven, all of those birds are not kosher. the pigeon. Is kosher. There, there are many kosher animals, but all of those birds that attack, that attack birds of prey are all non-kosher. We're going to talk about that also a little bit more in the important lessons. Insects. The Torah forbids all types of insects except for four species of locusts. So all insects, anything with many, many legs, any of the you know those those animals, all non kosher, all crabs and all of that non kosher, non kosher all the bottom bottom feeders the bot the bottom the, the not kosher, anything that grows from the ground, by the way, is kosher, anything that grows from the ground, anything that grows from a tree is kosher, except if it has bugs in it. So, for example, strawberries, very common today, that strawberries have bugs. So there's a very simple process of cleaning those strawberries. All berries have many, many bugs, microscopic bugs, which the Torah already warns us about. There's a process, a very simple process, just like we would wash anything else that we eat. We wash the strawberries, any berries. We wash those leaves from lettuce. Um, I told someone uh, a while back, I said, just by the way, you know, we had some some class. I said, by the way, we we talked about lettuce. That lettuce needs to be rinsed and it needs to be washed and it needs to be checked to ensure that there are no bugs. He's like, come on. It's nonsense. I've never seen bugs. And I said, start looking. And he's like, since then, he's like, by the way, if you just go to Costco, Costco has very fresh produce. You look at the bag of the lettuce, look very carefully. You'll always see a bug or two on the bag, in the inside of the bag. But and this is not please, Costco, don't sue me. But the the idea is the Torah tells us you can eat anything that grows from the ground, but not the little insects that are in it or on it. So wash them off really well and then enjoy. The same is with fruits. Any fruit you can eat, just check and ensure that there's no fruit no no insects in it. The idea, the concept, the basic laws of purity and impurity are recorded as a form of spiritual cleanliness. Just like physically we want to be clean, spiritually we want to be clean. And the Torah talks to us about this spiritual cleanliness. Anything that comes in contact with a dead person or animal brings about ritual impurity. The mikvah has a special power to restore purity. By entering a mikvah of water, which is like a ritual bath of water, one undergoes a purification process. And the Jewish people are commanded to be separate and holy, just like Hashem, Kikadosh Ani, right? You be holy because I'm holy, God says. And now let's take a look at some important lessons from this week's Parsha. So number one, we see in this week's Parsha that the Jewish people are so overjoyed. They're so excited and they start singing praise to Hashem. You know what you should do when you're happy? Thank Hashem. You wake up in the morning and you're excited that you have another day, that you have a healthy body, that you're able to see. Guess what? That's our. That's what our blessings are about every morning, is to thank Hashem for all of the gifts, to sing His praise every day. That's what it's about. That's it. It's not more complicated than that. Just thank Hashem for everything that you have. And the more we do that, the closer we'll feel to the Almighty. There are, There is a, a natural distance that a person can feel from God because, well, I didn't walk into the room and see God sitting there on his throne. So then maybe God isn't there. God is there. God isn't there. I don't know. Guess what? God is everywhere. All we need to do is open up our receptacles to notice and pay attention to God's hand all around us every single day. And the more we stop and appreciate and notice the kindness, the goodness of Hashem, the more we will be overjoyed. We will feel that connection. And we see that in this week's Power They got excited. They got overjoyed. They saw the fire coming down. What do they do? It's the first thing they do. They sing Hashem's praises. They thank Hashem. They sing a song. That's what we need to learn. To do the same. You're excited. You're overjoyed. You're grateful for all the gifts Hashem gives you. Give thanks to Hashem. The next is the laws of mourning. That we tear our clothes. That we don't take haircuts. That we sit low and mourn. It's from this week's Parsha. It's not made up by a bunch of rabbis. The Torah tells us how to mourn. The Torah tells us from the story of Aaron, well, Moshe gives instruction on the proper way to grieve. It's just very interesting that many people feel that when they go to a house of mourning, that they need to say something. The halacha says just the opposite. When you go to a house of mourning, you're not allowed to say anything. You're just there to give comfort. If the mourner opens up to you to start talking, Then you can talk. But it's not here for you to feel good that you came to visit them. It's for them to feel good that you came to visit them. And sometimes, not even sometimes, it's more times than not, people say very silly things because they're just trying to say something and trying to like make sure that they're noticed, that they'll remember that I was here. There's no need to say anything. Just be there with them. Feel their pain. Comfort them. And this we learned from this week's parsha. Now, it's very interesting that we have the laws of kosher and the laws of purity and impurity juxtaposed. Right after we talk about the laws of kosher, we talk about holiness, purity, impurity. Why are they juxtaposed? I'd like to suggest that because food is so important for our holiness, Food is essential for our existence, for our survival, for our sustenance. We need to feed our bodies constantly. And why does, why is that by the way? Why did God create the world in a way that we have to eat three times a day to sustain our bodies? Because what's the objective of food? The objective of food is not just to be a sustainer of life. The objective of food is to build a relationship with God. Because God could have made it that you plug yourself in once a week or once a month and you get your sustenance, you recharge your batteries and you have enough to go for the next month or next year or, or your whole lifetime. But you know what? You have to come back every morning, every afternoon, every evening. Why? Thank Hashem again and again and again for your sustenance. Food is a tool to grow our relationship with Hashem. Which is why blessings are very closely associated with the food that we eat. There are six different blessings that we recite prior to eating food. There's Hamozi on the bread. There's Hagafen on the wine. There's Mizonos on the pastries, on the cakes, on the cookies. We have Ha'ets on fruits. We have Ha'adama on vegetables and we have Shahakol and all the other things that like chicken and meat and eggs, sugar, candies, drinks, all the things that don't grow from the ground. It's all there so that we use it as an opportunity to build our relationship with God. Our purity and impurity of our soul. Our sages tell us that non-kosher food, it makes your heart, your emotions crazy. Non-kosher food. It makes your priorities all wrong. It mixes everything up. It makes you crazy. All of your priorities turn turn upside down. What does that have to do with just eating food? That's what the Talmud tells us. The way in which a person eats, not only the actual action of eating, the way you sit, the way you bring the food to your mouth, which should be with dignity, which should be proper, Shouldn't eat like animals. My rabbi always talks to us about, you know, his students of which from the kolo that we learned, that, that I learned in, there are probably now 400, 450 rabbis that are ordained and serving in communities around the world. And one of the things that he would always tell us is that you never eat with your hands. You have to be dignified. So one of the students said, How do you eat pizza without your hands? I mean, you eat it with a knife and fork? He says, if you can't eat it with dignity, don't eat it. There's other foods. It's not the only food you can eat. Eat it with dignity. It's more than just the food that you're eating. It's the way in which you're doing it. So yes, it should be with dignity. It should be proper. It should be respectful to who you are. But also to make sure that those ingredients that are in there are ingredients that are all kosher. To ensure that there's nothing, no elements. And it's very interesting. People, when we talk about kosher, people are like, "What's the big deal?" Oh, the rabbi needs to bless the food. It has nothing to do with rabbi blessing the food. Rabbi doesn't sit at the end of the food chain and with his hands over the food and say, "Yevarechacha, Hashem v'yishmerecha," and give the blessing, the priestly blessing. That's not what the rabbis do. The rabbis are ensuring that the oil, for example, that they use. You know that they're just bubble gum, for example. You know, the bubble gum has pig fat in it. I'm not kidding. Bubble gum. You go to any, any supermarket right at the checkout counter, you look at those bubble gums and there's an ingredient, gelatinous pig fat. It gives it a certain, a certain consistency. So what do, what do kosher chewing gums have? They have a fish form of that. And the Talmud that we studied here in our thinking Talmudist series, the Talmud says that there is no pleasure that God created that you can't find a kosher form for it. Even pork, people say, "Oh, it's so delicious." There's a type of fish that has the exact same consistency. That's kosher. Yeah, people have all these diff- different foods. They're like, "Oh, you can't find a kosher a kosher parallel to it." You can't. Every non-kosher food, there's a kosher parallel to it. It's not the same. That's the Yetzirah talking. There's no, there's always a substitute to the non-kosher with a kosher. So while the non-kosher gum is pig fat, the kosher gum is from a kosher fish fat. So you have the same consistency, but something which is kosher. So no, the rabbis are not charged, the rabbis are not charging a rabbi tax on kosher food. It's just that there's a process that is a little bit more. You buy kosher lettuce, yeah, there's someone who needed to wash it and to check it and to clean it and to wash it again. And same thing with your meats, to to, to take out all of the blood from it. There's a process. There's much more manpower. Do you know that non-kosher meat from a kosher slaughterhouse, so they, they slaughter the animal, they check the organs of the animal to make sure there wasn't any broken bones, that there wasn't any cancers in the internals of the animal. And what happens if they find after it was slaughtered kosher, kosher animal, kosher slaughter, but they find that inside there was a hole in the lungs. You know what that animal is? That animal is no longer kosher. It's a non-kosher animal. You know what they do? They sell it to Purdue and they sell it to Tyson. They have no problem. They have, they have no restrictions of kosher. They'll sell it and let other people Eat that that non-kosher animal. When you buy glock kosher chicken or meat, you're buying the finest quality food, the finest quality food. You're getting the healthiest animals. You're getting the healthiest ingredients because we ensure through the teaching of the Torah that every animal that is kosher is properly kosher. And that it's a healthy animal. So kosher is not just a business or an industry. Kosher is the holiness and purity of our soul that gets fed with the food that we eat. Just another side point. You know, if you look at the flesh, your flesh right over here, this little piece of flesh on my hand. You know what this flesh was 30 days ago? This was food. Every 30 days, the skin of your body gets completely recycled completely recycled. What does it get nutrition from? What does it get recycled from? The food that you eat. So if you eat something which is impure, guess what? Now your flesh is actually impure. You become what you eat. This is what nurtures your body. We want to be holy. We want to be pure. And that's why the Torah gives us this incredible ingredient living a holy life. Be holy, the Torah says, in chapter 11, verse 44 to 47, I recommend you take a look at this. Be holy, God says, because I am holy. God gives us instruction to be holy, to be God-like, to emulate God. Be holy because I am holy. Everything we learn in our classes is about emulating God. We want to be God-like. God wants us to be closer to him. God says, kosher, these are the foods you can eat. These are the livestock you can eat, the fish, the fowl, the insects that you can't. Why? Be holy because I'm holy. So what is holiness? Holiness means to be a little bit removed, so to speak. Separated not to be the same as everyone else. The Torah talks this week's parsha about Tumah, impurity, and Tahara, purity. Purity and impurity are not associated with good and bad per se. You can have a perfectly good person, a holy person, but because they touch the dead animal, the carcass of, a dead, of, a, of an impure animal, they now become impure. And there's a process of purity. Something becomes impure by touching something impure. So we are our environment. If we're hanging around things that are impure, most likely we will become impure. If we have as our friends people that are unholy, that speak things that are not nice, guess what? It's just a matter of time till we're influenced by that. It's a little hint. You are your environment. If you allow yourself to be around things, by osmosis you take in. All of the influences that are around you. And that's what we're trying to protect ourselves from. This week's Parsha gives us a lot of insight into that. Staying clean. Keeping ourselves holy. Keeping ourselves pure. And keeping ourselves righteous. Now, the Midrash says a very interesting thing that how did the people know what chewing its cud means? What does that mean? If I tell you red, how do you know what red means? Because I show you the color red. This is red. This is blue. So you learn this is blue, this is red. But how do you know what chewing gets cut is if you don't see an animal chewing gets cut? Is it this? Is it that? What does split hooves mean? You have to actually show the people what it means. Our sages tell us that every single animal descended to Sinai, they came from all over the world. It's Four times it's happened in the history of the world that all of the animals came to one place. The first was with Adam, when Adam gave the names to all the animals. The second was when Noah brought them all into the ark before the flood. The third was when the, play. this is a different opinion, whether it's three or four times, but according to the opinion that it was four, the third was in Egypt, by the plague of the wild animals, all of the animals descended upon Egypt, even those that weren't, From Egypt. They weren't from Africa. They came from all over the world. Descended on the Egyptians. And the fourth time was at Mount Sinai. So Moshe was able to show all the Jewish people, this is a kosher animal. This is not a kosher animal. This is a split hoof. This is chewing its cud. And identifying each animal, this is a kosher animal, this is a non-kosher animal. So the the things that we have today that we know are kosher or non-kosher are from the Masorah, from the transmission that was given from Moses and Mount Sinai, all the way to us today, sitting here at the Torch Center in 2023, where we have a tradition from Moshe and Mount Sinai of exactly what is and is not kosher. What is split hooves and what is not. And this is one of the important things in all of Judaism, is to make sure that we have a Masorah. That rabbis start making up things, that's nonsense. Give me Masorah. Show it to me. And you can always demand, either in this class or any other class you go to, a rabbi says something, say prove it. Show it to me. Get verification. It's not unreasonable. It's a requirement. Now the Torah specifies the birds that are kosher and are not kosher. One of the animals, one of the birds that are not kosher is the stork, the Hasida. It's very interesting. Why is it called Hasida? Because it does chesed. It does a lot of acts of kindness. And yet it's a non-kosher animal. So the sages ask, and if you look in your art scroll, in the English on the bottom, it'll say, the Hasid will say this idea. How come an animal which does kindness and it's named after the kindness that it does, not a kosher animal? It's on the list of the non-kosher. Our sages tell us Because there's a flaw in the kindness that it does. It only does kindness with its own. Oh, you're part of my family. I'll give you everything. I'll take care of you. I'll do everything. Oh, you're not part of my family, so we don't help you. Our sages tell us this is an important lesson for the Jewish people. Our job is to be a light unto the nations. Our job is to be the kindest people on planet Earth. You know what? Not only for the Jewish community. We're here for everyone. And if you look, there is no community on planet Earth that does more kindness than the Jewish people. I will challenge anyone, go to Brooklyn, New York, go to Muncie, New York, go to Williamsburg, New York, go to the Jewish communities in Lakewood, New Jersey, or here in Houston, Texas, and look at what the Jewish community does to help out people who are poor, to help out people who are sick, to help out people who need medical attention, to help out people who are stuck with a dead battery in their car. We have volunteer organizations for every possible need. You know that the number one altruistic kidney donation organization in the world is a Jewish organization run from Brooklyn, New York. The number one. How much, how much do they charge? Free. From the donor, from the recipient, free. Number one in the world, what's the percentage of Jews relative to the population of the world? 0.0001%, right? And of all altruistic donations worldwide, over 20% are from Orthodox Jews. Because that's what Hashem is telling us. You're my people. That's your job to be an example for the nations. But it's not only for you. It's not, a, oh, you're my family, you're you're part of the Jewish people, I'll help you out. Not Jewish, it's okay, you can wait for AAA, we're not going to boost your car. You you have a heart attack, God forbid we're not going to, no, no, no. It's for everyone, and that's what we learned from the Hasidah. It does chesed, it does does acts of kindness, but it's not a kosher animal, because it only takes care of its own. You want to do kindness and be kosher? You have to do kindness for everyone. You can't discriminate. That's true kindness. God doesn't say to us, oh, you're following my commandments, you're following my ordinances, I'll give you kindness. No. Even the sinner, God sustains. Even the sinner, even one who's not going in God's path, God sustains. You want to be God-like? It goes across the board. And again, as we mentioned, in chapter 11, verse 4 to verse 7, is one of the established proofs of the divine authorship of the Torah. You want to know one of the great proofs that the Torah was given by God, that it's a godly document? Look at chapter 11, verse 4 to verse 7. And you will see how only these four exceptions that are listed in the Torah, written 3,300 years ago by Moshe at Mount Sinai, are the only exceptions. And you will go around the entire world go to every single aquarium and go to every single zoo and go out to the wild and find any animal in the world, you will not find another exception that's not listed in the Torah. You know why? Because God, who's the creator of the world, knows what he created. And he knows the exceptions. And God gives those exceptions in the Torah. So my dear friends, this concludes the Parsha review summary for Parsha Shmini. Have a magnificent Shabbos.